0: welcome to experts on call on news talk 580 cfra get expert advice on a variety of topics and hear what Ottawa business people have to offer ask questions get answers this is experts on call on news talk 580 cfra
1: our spotlight on information you need to know on the passing of a loved one or friend continues this hour We started this monthly series back in January, Great Information. Now, one of the more challenging aspects we'll face at one time or another is properly managing property and assets of a loved one and ensuring their wishes are fulfilled. Good afternoon to you once again. Dave Watts with you as we welcome back Neil Milton from Milton's Estates Lots, based here in the Ottawa area. Staying informed is certainly key, and while specific details are unique to all of us, A general overview of what's needed and what to do are always timely. So this hour, we'll look into the role of the estate's trustee, which should provide a better understanding of requirements and processes. Welcome back, Neil. Great to catch up with you once again.
2: Hi, Dave. It's great to speak to you.
1: Always a pleasure to chat, Neil. Let's start with a little snapshot on some of the services that Milton's Estates Law provides.
2: Well, we handle soup to nuts of wills and estates, Um, so we do a little bit of uh, will drafting, although not a lot, because uh, we're not uh, by no means the cheapest solution out there for will drafting, but we do it for people who have slightly complicated needs. Uh, Then we assist lots and lots of folks to probate and to become the estate trustee. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what you do after someone has passed away. Uh, and then we assist folks uh, when things are not going quite according to plan uh, and there is some dispute. And we'll talk about that more in, in other shows. Today, we want I want to talk just about the basics, about the fundamentals of the administration of estates.
1: And you know something, Neil, this is always good information to know because uh, some might think, wow, this is a bit of an information overload. It isn't really once you get a grasp of it. So I I think uh, reviewing this from time to time is certainly timely.
2: Yeah, and and, you know uh – for all the focus, there's a lot of public uh, focus on wills, uh, which I actually think is a bit of looking the wrong end of the telescope. They're really in <laughs> the rubber hits the road, as it were, when someone's passed away and can you administer the estate properly? So we were talking about last uh, month, you know, one of the things that a lot of people find shocking, but it's very, very true, very powerful, but can lead to a lot of mistakes is is joint ownership of uh, property and using beneficiary designations. So the estate trustee, there's some really basic core concepts, and and actually from there the law isn't so complicated. It's just that life is complicated and different folks have different circumstances. But the basic principles are are pretty straightforward.
1: What is fiduciary? Uh, did I pronounce that right? Fiduciary yeah, duties. Yeah, fiduciary.
2: Yeah, so one of the key things to understand is that an estate after someone passes away is a trust and it's administered by the trustee and and that's the phrase we use in Ontario now the estate trustee who is the person appointed by the court to administer the estate the executor is the person named in a person's will and they say this is the person I think should be the estate trustee uh, but not all executors end up um, administering estates some of them are not able to when the time comes or don't want to or Aren't are completely unsuitable, Uh, and also, of course, many folks don't have a will. So uh, the whole general concept is, the court uh, retains the power to appoint a an estate trustee. So a fiduciary, fiduciary is, uh, and is similar to a trustee, someone who has power and authority over something that doesn't belong to them that belongs to someone else and their obligation is to treat it for the benefit of the beneficiary so you know a simple good example is lawyers are fiduciaries and ha- are supposed to act in the best interests of their clients when you when you sell your house and the proceeds go into the lawyer's trust account those are not the lawyer's uh, funds they're your funds The lawyer, however, for instance, has to discharge your mortgage before they give them the funds to you. So that's an example of why we use fiduciaries as someone who has a sort of a greater obligation, an obligation to ensure the mortgage is discharged, that the house is transferred to the buyer. And then and only then the remaining funds go to you, the owner. So classic example of a Fiduciary, this third party who's sort of in the middle, administering things for other people who are the beneficiary, and that's what that's what the estate trustee does.
1: Now, what about uh, act or renounce? I saw that in one of your publications, and Neil, what does that refer to?
2: Well, what that refers to, Dave, is that being a trust, an estate trustee, is not, no picnic, and it's not for everybody, and it's not an honor; it's a job. And and so it's really important that people think seriously about, do I want to take this on? And there are all kinds of reasons for not uh, wanting to take it on, actually, quite frankly. I mean, some people, it's age and stage. Um, if you're not in a position to actually uh, go to the bank, um, because in January, for instance, or you're not in, uh, if you have difficulty printing documents, reading, signing uh then you're sort of disqualified from from many of the the activities. So I encourage people to know that even if you're named the executor in a will, you're not obligated to act act. And and you always have the right to say, you know what, this is not for me, not right now. Uh another good reason actually, quite frankly, is if either you are in a conflict of interest or for instance there's enormous conflict among the beneficiaries. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, estates that are quite contentious or they're insolvent, don't have any money. Uh, so there are the good reasons to, to sometimes just renounce. So renounce is the word and say, you know, not for me, not now, find someone else.
1: Now, if, uh, renounce is a uh, part of the process uh, for that individual, does that complicate things overall?
2: not greatly i mean someone someone has to step forward and say i'm put their hand up and say i'm willing to administer this estate and um so obviously in the normal course if there's a will it's the person named in the as the executor and often a properly drafted will should have at least one alternate uh so if the first one's not available who's the second one um in, in when there is no will, the sort of presumption is next of kin, although you should know that that actually starts with even common law spouses. So spouse, whether common law or married is the presumption starting point. But uh, one thing that I, in my personal view, people don't take it nearly enough advantage of is. Uh, using independent third party professionals, whether it is trust companies, that's something they do all the time and they're, and they're good at it. And for smaller or more contentious estates, there are a group of lawyers and accountants and other folks like that who offer these services for hire essentially and it's something a lot of families should look to because you know there are a lot of a lot of the times um the parent may have great relationships with most of the kids but the kids may not have such great relationships among themselves and instead of trying to figure out who's the right one to pick maybe you should be picking someone who's None of the above.
1: We're going to take a quick break on News Talk 580 CFRA's Experts on Call. Neil Milton is our guest from Milton's Estates Law. We'll be right back.
0: We'll return with more Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Another interesting and a timely conversation on the go this hour with our guest, Neil Milton from Milton's Estates Law on Experts on Call. Now, Neil, just before the break, we were talking about acting and renouncing. Let's get some more insight into acting.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> when you act as the estate trustee, uh your job is to do whatever's necessary to complete the administration of the estate. And and that essentially means winding up the affairs of the deceased and and then paying if there's anything left at the, at the end of all that uh, to what we call the, the beneficiaries and especially the residual beneficiaries of the estate. So you know in really general terms, uh the trustee uh hops in, they have authority and discretion to run the funeral. Uh, And burial, they collect all the assets, they find and pay all the debts, and then they distribute the estate, however, is required in accordance with the will, and if there is no will, in accordance with the law. They don't get to choose or make choices about, hey, I didn't like the way the will was written. They can't rewrite the will, uh, but they've got to follow it. And if they do all that and they do it well, they're entitled to a reasonable compensation for doing a reasonable job. And it is a job.
1: Well, that's uh, very good to know. Now, after death of a loved one, of course, uh, there are a number of steps along the way over the course of a number of months. Let's touch on some of those uh, time frames as they might apply. I'm I'm thinking perhaps right off the bat, seven to ten days uh, from death. uh, What happens at that point?
2: Yeah, so, you know, things move pretty quickly when someone has just passed away, usually. And hopefully, the executor knows that they're the executor and has the will. Uh It's really, really unfortunate or knows where to get the will. It's really unfortunate when people don't tell their loved ones who the executor is and where the original will is or even where and where a copy is. Personally, I happen to believe that, uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant and you're best having shared it in advance, ideally with most of the family so they know what it at. So right after uh, the, the estate trustee, if no one else uh, does it, is responsible for handling the, the funeral and burial. Uh, if someone else does it, they have to pay for it. Um, normally, if you have a funeral, uh, the, the, or the funeral uh, director will give you, um, death certificates. And, and that's quite difficult, different from applying to the province for a formal death certificate, which takes months to get mm-hmm. and is a real drag <laughs> because you need these original, these death certificates. To run around and do a bunch of, you know, useful things. If the, if the original wills of the lawyer's office, they're going to want to see a death certificate before they give it to you. Uh, even if you're the trustee named in it often, um, often people take them to the bank, um, they take them, uh, and then if you start down the road towards the longer term process of, um, uh, probating, you're going to need it. But so the first order of business is to deal with those real urgent things, the urgent things, including funeral, burial, and also depending on the living arrangements the person, ensuring that, you know, their assets aren't stolen, that their house isn't broken into, that, that things aren't stolen. Uh, that, that varies very greatly, depending obviously on the circumstance of the deceased. If they were in the old age home, it's very different from if they were living by themselves which is very different from if they were living with a, a spouse or a loved one.
1: Uh, Neil, I want to ask, you just want to jump back to death certificates for a sec. Um, are photocopies of death certificates uh, acceptable, or do they all have to be originals?
2: Well, they don't have to all be be originals. It depends on the circumstances. If, Unfortunately, most funeral home directors will give you a stack of uh, six or 10 originals. Okay. Uh, but a notarized true copy is, is as good as an original. Uh, especially nowadays, often, you know, scan it, send it to the bank. Uh, that may be, may be all they ask for. They may ask you to follow up with an original. Um, the same is true when dealing with CRA, a notarized true copy. So often what you want to do is you need one and you need to hang on to that one and not let go of that, yeah. that one. And then if you have more, you can – if you don't have more, you can get more made you know, is the bottom line.
1: Oh. All right. So um, we've gone beyond the first couple of weeks. Uh, then in the 20- to 60-day period, uh, there are certainly more requirements on the go. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, so it really depends, and uh, which ones of these have to be dealt with depend on the circumstance of the deceased. So the bulk uh, of situations that you encounter are, are either a younger person who has a spouse and who's managing everything and steps in, or an older person whose children uh manage everything uh, obviously in a couple of first uh, first of the two to pass away the surviving spouse may may have a bunch to do but as we talked about before uh, that may actually be fairly straightforward and may not be super urgent but what the estate trustee needs to do is is see if there's a will <laughs> find out if it, there is one where it is and what it says uh and then start trying to act uh, in accordance with what it says if there isn't a will similar concepts around acting in the benef- interest of the beneficiaries in accordance with the law so that means you need to s- start gathering assets you need to start finding out what the debts are you need to start cutting off regular payments things that might be incurring debt so for instance Netflix subscriptions and actually there are a lot of really potentially complicated things to do with facebook uh, accounts and things like that but you know and then slowly start thinking of, do i need to probate okay if i do uh, am i going to hire a lawyer who am who am i going to hire to help me um what about and then taxes you need to think about taxes so am i going to use the uh, an accountant that the deceased worked with or am i going to find a new one do i have one of my own but you know, you're going to need to determine what the tax liabilities are and you're going to need to pay them. So unless you're really good at doing your own taxes, I would strongly encourage you to find someone who knows what they're doing.
1: Exactly. Another another benefit of getting the right person to do the job that's needed, like get a professional accountant, for example.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's not a um, it, a lot of people can be penny wise and pound foolish in this context. And the opportunities to make big mistakes, uh, are, are real, especially, especially since paying someone's taxes on their death is quite different from paying them uh, every year. So someone, for instance, who is living off, uh, CPP, OAS and GIS uh, might have had a very modest income. But when they pass away, you now have to deal with their house. Uh, maybe they had some savings, some investments, um, you know, so there there are significant potential tax liabilities that weren't being dealt with for years and years with this person. Quite frequently, if you don't sell the house quickly after the deceased passes away, you really needed to know how much it was worth on the day of death. Because for most people, most Canadians, if we live in our house, it's our principal residence Capital gains on that house are not uh, taxable until the day we die. The day we die, it ceases to be our principal (laughs) residence. And so the estate has to pay taxes on the gains from date of death to date of sale. Mm. So you really need to know what it was worth. The day you passed away. So, uh, among the many things to do is if you're thinking, gee, I'm going to hold on to this house for uh, a a year or 10, for instance, not infrequently, there's a life estate for the surviving spouse. You need to get an appraisal done.
1: Once those aspects have been taken care of, what about things like guardianship and co-executors? Why or how would a co-executor play into this?
2: Well, co-executors are, um, they're not uncommon. It just means that there are two people or more who have to who agree on everything. And uh, you know it's not uncommon for for a parent to say, "You know what? I'll make my three or four kids even co-executors because I don't want to pick favorites." Uh, which is a fine sentiment. But the flip side, I can tell you is it's really cumbersome. And especially since these days, if you've got four uh, kids, chances are uh, more than one of them don't live in the jurisdiction. so you're to get anything signed and especially regional signatures and things you, you've got to deal with cross-border issues and and you know it's a real added uh, complexity. so that's why I flag it. if you if there are co-executors, you have to decide that, now the co-executor may say no no no, I trust my sibling, I'm going to renounce um, in which case just one for instance goes forward. But alternatively, if two or more people are going forward together, they need to figure out if they're on the same page and if they can work together. If they can't work together, that's a really good time to stick up your hand and say, you know what? There should be a third party doing this. Neither of us should do this. So, um, yeah, co-executors are just an added uh, challenge. Guardianship. So one of the, the interesting things about guardianship, and there's a great decision out of the ontario court earlier this month uh, last month in which judge quite rightly said children are not chattels meaning you don't own children so you can express a desire for who should be the guardian but in your will and that normally that governs for 90 days but beyond that it's not binding, and it's not binding on the court, and it's not binding on the kids.
1: Neil, we have to take a quick break, but coming up, we're going to continue our discussion on guardianship and lots more. Neil Milton is our guest from Milton's Estates Law, and you can find them online at Ontario-probate.ca. Back in a moment with more on News Talk
0: 580 CFRA. We'll return with more experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Experts on Call continues on News Talk 580 CFRA. If you're just joining us, a good afternoon to you. Neil Milton is our guest this hour once again, and he's a part of Milton's Estates Law. And just before the break, Neil, we were talking about the period 20 to 60 days, and we started a conversation on guardianship. Let's continue with that.
2: Yeah. So, Dave, guardianship is what—who's going to have control over the affairs of any minors? So, children under eighteen. For, it's obviously extremely traumatic when it occurs. Fortunately, it's not that common, and my piece of advice would be get good legal advice because the will is uh, suggestion but not binding, and ultimately someone is going to need to apply to a court to get a guardianship order so they can become the guardian of uh, the child or children. So, yeah, fortunate, very traumatic when it happens. Fortunately, not that common. And uh, so... And and get good legal advice because you will need it.
1: All right, Neil. Very interesting. Let's talk about notices now. Advertising for creditors. Is this always needed?
2: Yeah. So this is where we get into the, the, the real nitty gritty of estate administration, which is forms, forms, and more forms. And when, and why I say, Hey, if it isn't for everybody, it's not a caregiver's job. It's, it's really for lapsed lawyers and accountants being an estate trustee. So notices to creditors. Is it needed all the time? No. What does it do? You advertise. And you say, hey, anyone who has a claim against the estate of the deceased, um, let me know within 60 or 90 days or f- forever hold your peace. And um what it gets you as the estate trustee is some protection from liability down the road. But do you need to do it? No, because a lot of the time. Um, People's affairs are very straightforward and there's no question about what their liabilities are. So there's no one leaning over your shoulder saying you had to do it. It's just, did you get advantage of this extra piece of protection as the estate trustee? And it's one of a long list of really joyful activities you get to do, you know, run around and uh, close accounts. See, different strokes for different folks and depends on the circumstances. Do you actually close credit cards? Do you just cut them up? Um, do you close down um, various bank accounts? Do you close down? Uh, you know, a lot really depends on the uh, affairs of the deceased and your concerns about things like identity theft or family members free riding on accounts and things. Uh, one, obviously, we talked about is, is, uh, probate, but we should go back to that, which is, you know, the, if the estate trustee needs the legal authority to, to go to people and say, I can do everything that the deceased could do, like sell the deceased house, then you need to probate. And that's where the court gives you a, a court order saying, yes, indeed, you, you are the estate trustee. Uh, very common if the estate had had any kind of assets that didn't pass joint ownership or beneficiary designations not needed at all if the estate is bankrupt or um, or minimal and then uh, you know fun fun little activities there's a stated min tax this is a tax in Ontario of one and a half percent of the assets that are probated it's not an income tax it's an asset tax and so uh, believe it or not, it's actually 180 days after you receive the certificate of probate from the court. Let's go to mouthful. You have to file the estate information return. So it's a tax return. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then, then you deal with all the other various things that may or may not be out ongoing in the affairs of the deceased. Most deceased, you know, you, you, you stop, stop their accounts and you stop paying things and you shut things down, but it can, it can always get, uh, can be more difficult with certain people. Some people are the defendant in lawsuits. Some people are the plaintiff in lawsuits. Uh, one thing we're doing basically for free right now is a lot of, um, applications for people who were uh, beneficiaries. That's a terrible word, but of the, uh, settlement of the 60s scoop. Mm-hmm. So parents who, um, were First Nations, who were taken to residential schools, but who have now passed away. They likely didn't have much of an estate, but now their estate is entitled to, to their share of the, of the settlement proceeds. So there's an example of where things can, can get weird and a little bit complicated.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the uh, CPP death benefit. How does that apply? And, and perhaps you can explain it in more detail.
2: Yeah, so the CPP death benefit is basically $2,500, uh, which is payable to uh, the estate, uh, normally should be applied for by the estate trustee, but if there's no probate required, you can get hit. Uh, it, if you're the next of kin uh and and it's really actually extremely helpful in those kind of estates in the states that have no money and no assets it gives you a minimal amount of money to do things like pay for uh cremation for instance and, and uh yeah service uh so you're not going to get a very opulent funeral for 2500 but you will uh, get a tiny little bit of money from cpp and many funeral homes will assist the estate trustee or the executor to actually file the form. So it's filed right away, but it is money that does belong to the estate. And if the estate is probated, it should go into the estate and be administered as part of the estate. So, uh, the form is fairly simple to, to fill in and apply for, but like any, any form and certainly any government form, it can, it can trip people up. So.
1: I wonder if an accountant is a good plan to have uh, um, at your beck and call at the same time.
2: Well, actually, they, they don't do these very often. So the person I would, if, if I were having difficulty with the CPP death benefit, I would ask the funeral uh, wow. home because they do them all the time. But certainly with other things, it is really helpful to have an accountant that you can uh, work with, not because it's uh, you're going to need them a lot, but they need uh, a couple of key things. And it's important to remember that the, you have to file a tax return for the deceased. And that's up to the date of death. And one of the key concepts in Canadian and taxes deemed disposition, so everything you owned is disposed of on the day of your death by deeming, and then subsequent to that, the estate, which you, as the estate trustee, are running, then needs to pay uh, file tax returns and, and pay the taxes. And taxes are some income taxes can be can be enormous uh, because of things like big rifts and and RRSPs. And they can, and as a result, they scare a lot of trustees quite rightly, to, because the trustee is on the hook personally for ensuring that they're paid. So that it's it's one of the key things that keeps uh, both ensures <laughs> that trustees need to stay honest about, but it keeps them up at night is making sure they properly declared and paid all the taxes.
1: How does one know, uh, Neil, if probate is needed or required?
2: The main way to tell is, is there an asset that I can't transfer, I, uh, the estate trustee cannot transfer without having a, uh, some proof that I have the authority to deal with it? So it, it's a very functional definition. So if the house was jointly owned by two spouses, then by definition, the first one to pass away goes off title and I'm left with the second one. Didn't need to probate for the first one. But for the second one, Almost by definition, it's going to have to be, uh, sold. And in order to sell it, I need a certificate. Um, similarly, if, if there are big, uh, substantial financial assets, uh, whether in RIFs and TFSAs or otherwise that don't pass by beneficiary designation, I'm going to need to probate. So
1: all right uh neil let's talk a little bit about the first ninety days the first three months after the estate trustee appointment i guess uh, that's what sixty to one hundred and twenty days after death. a lot of uh, things required here
2: yeah, so that you know now you're you're moving into this um, process of starting to hopefully make some progress on administration and have some sense of what the estate is going to be. Uh, worth uh, two things I want to uh, flag is for folks is one is communication and and one is dealing with insolvency so it's almost two opposite extremes communication is really valuable so the estate trustee is not obligated to get the impression or the views or it's not a democracy where the beneficiaries vote and the estate trustee runs off and does their bidding It's the reverse. The estate trustee has the authority and duty to administer the estate in the best interest of the beneficiaries. And you don't have to talk to them, but you should most of the time. So the estate trustee should sort of keep people generally in the loop of how long things are taking. You know, for instance, if someone tells you it's going to take eight months to probate in Toronto, you should tell people that so that they don't expect you to have sold the house within six days. So uh, things like that, good communication from the trustee, not all the time, uh, not micromanaging or micro communicating, but is, is very useful. So that's the kind of thing that should definitely be going on in this 60 to 120 day period, because people start to wonder what's going on.
1: We're going to take a quick break, Neil, and get back with this conversation in just a sec. Very interesting. Neil Milton is our guest, Milton's Estates Law, and you'll find them here in Ottawa. Their website, by the way, is Ontario-probate.ca. Experts on call on News Talk 580 CFRA. We'll
0: be right back. We'll return with more Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA. Now back to Experts on Call on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Great conversation this hour with Neil Milton. He's our guest from Milton's Estates Law. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about some issues uh, relating to communication always needed. Let's talk about insolvency. Neil, that's got to be a big item.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very stressful, obviously, for folks. And so I want to just flag that when the estate doesn't have enough money to pay its debts, when there aren't enough assets to pay the debts, which is not uncommon, actually. And especially for younger people who just started, uh, work, uh, often have a lot of debts and not a lot of assets. Uh, very stressful for the person who thinks they should be the estate trustee. Key thing here is you don't have to act. Often you shouldn't act, and often you should just assign the estate into bankruptcy. And a little bankruptcy, trustee, handle the whole thing. So a bunch of info on our website about that, and I realize how stressful it is for folks and they don't have any money, extra money to go around. Really important that they not get in there and start meddling until they figure out, hmm, maybe this this estate I shouldn't be running.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, after death, of course, so we've talked about a number of elements required along the way. Okay, now a year has passed, for instance, uh, we're at the 12 month point. What are some of the things that need to be taken care of at that point?
2: So this is where we start talking about wrapping up the estate. But just to be clear, it starts at about 12 months. So a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, think that these things are wrapped up quickly. And sadly, nowadays, especially with the delay, both with probate and the delay with CRA, getting it done in 12 months is going to be almost impossible if you had to probate and if you have to pay taxes. So... The, in this 12 to 24 month period, the estate trustee, it's more, more, more forms, more paperwork. It's finalized the situation with taxes, ideally apply for and get a a clearance certificate. That's a, a certificate from CRA saying, you know, you've done what you needed to do and you've paid the taxes you needed to pay. Uh, ideally, the estate trustee has a set of accounts that's basically records of the estate from beginning to end, and and they're able to share those with the beneficiaries and say this is this is how much money you're going to get. Here's where I spent money. Uh Distribute the funds, often getting a release from the. That's really about covering the backside of the estate trustee, but it's useful in saying, hey, I have accepted these accounts, and and yes, if you pay me that money, I'm we're all good here, we're square. Uh, and calculating and paying the compensation due to the trustee, which, by the way, is taxable income and needs to be reported to CRA as well by the estate trustee. One thing I want to flag there is because of these enormous delays, it's really important that people understand that Trustees can and often really should make an interim distribution. So, for instance, you don't have to distribute the whole estate, but you could easily say, well, there aren't, I've dealt with all the liabilities. There's not going to be something jumping out of the woodwork that costs more than 25, or maybe 50% of the estate. So I can distribute some number, 50% or maybe even more of the estate to the beneficiaries. And I can't tell you how important that is to buying goodwill because by month 15 or so, beneficiaries rightly start really chomping at the bit. So an early interim distribution that both uh, gets some funds in the hands of the beneficiaries while properly protecting the estate trustee might be something you need some advice on, but it shouldn't be zero. Uh, most of the time
1: what about compensation
2: (laughs) one of the most contentious issues (laughs) in (laughs) estates and uh you know as a a really rough rule of thumb and there's a lot of detailed more detailed information on our website about this but really rough the the estate trustee is usually entitled to about five percent of the estate so it can be quite a bit of money but as you heard when we just spent an hour talking about this it's quite a bit of work yeah but it needs to be reasonable And it needs needs to be consistent with the kind of work they've done, and and they have to have done a good job. If you didn't do a good job, you're not entitled to the full comp. And equally, if it's completely unreasonable, I mean, just selling one house for $5 million is not a $250,000 job. And in fact, often the smaller estates are more difficult uh, to do. But for both parties, it's uh, both the trustee and the beneficiary. It's really important to uh, look at the big picture and not get lost in the weeds of, of little minutiae, $50 here and $50 there. This is a, did the trustee do a reasonable job? Are they entitled to a reasonable compensation? Yes,
1: no. You know, that's a good point, Neil, getting stuck in the weeds because uh it d- wouldn't take much, particularly if someone is not exactly sure, uh, you know, the right route to take. That's why professional advice is so crucial in something like this.
2: Uh, Yeah, professional advice and ideally informed by experience. So you have judgment, you know, some uh, judgment around, okay, these are things that matter and these are things uh, that don't matter. And, and that obviously depends on the family and the, and the estate, but also sometimes it's about, about numbers. You know, when people come to me and say, well, the estate trustee made a mistake here and it's out by $300. I say, well, actually I charge 500 an hour. So are we going to sue them for $300? That seems like a bad idea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you just have to, um, yeah, have some context and some, some sense of proportion. But when, when the, the issues are big and they're real, people need to be very attentive and serious about them. There, there's a lot of money changing hands and a lot of opportunity for hurt feelings and lost money. And those are both of those are important.
1: You know, Neil, on your website, you've got some fantastic information. Uh, Let's talk about some of the services that are available to, uh, you know, casual visitors to your website.
2: So the key thing there is that it's all available for free. Uh, It doesn't cost me anything for you to educate yourself and you don't have to hire me. Uh, and in fact, I use the complete opposite uh, perspective. Normally, it's really helpful if people, the more people know, the more they know about when they need me and when they don't. And then the only the ones who are ready, willing and able to hire us, give us uh, a shout. So lots of, and, and as you can tell, many of these issues, they come up over and over and over. They they uh, stress out the average estate trustee often dealing with the states that aren't huge, and they need to be able to read about uh, what do I need to do, when do I do it, and how much am I entitled to charge, or how much am I entitled to pay, pay someone, so all that information to the extent. Best of my ability is there on the website, either in the ebooks or the various handouts and pages. So encourage people to actually spend some time looking through them when they have questions. Uh, use the search tool on the website because there is a, a lot of information there.
1: Neil, we are right out of time. Neil Milton, our guest, Milton's Estates Law. Thank you so much for dropping by once again, Neil.
2: My pleasure, Dave, as always.
1: Always great conversation. And you can find Milton's Estates Law in the Ottawa area, as I mentioned. They're over on Fitzgerald Road. But the best way, of course, is via the website. And that's at Ontario-probate.ca. Dave Watts here. Have a great day. News is next on News Talk 580 CFRA.